All right, good morning. Good to see you all. Um, so yeah, my name's Alex, and um, I do have the privilege of, of opening God's Word and preaching the gospel uh, this morning. And so if this is your first time here, or you're just checking out our church, or second or third, um, you know, Thank you, thank you, thank you for joining us. Glad you're here with us. Uh, if you're not a Christian, I, I say this regularly, this is a place you can belong long before you ever believe what we do about Jesus and the gospel. And our hope would be uh, not that you just belong and hang out, but that you would place your faith in the Lord Jesus and follow him as your savior. Um, so um, Jan and I, we moved here five, almost six months ago. And, um, and so I've mentioned this to our church on a number of occasions, but we took uh, an entire year out of ministry. I, I was called into the ministry at the age of 16, believe it or not, right after I met Jesus. And uh, I am still going in that direction and serving the church. Uh, but we needed to take a year out and just look at our own souls, at God, at our marriage, at our kids, at where, where are we going? We've been just going and moving all over the world and kind of go, let's plug in, settle down in one place. And there were a lot of things that the Lord taught us as we took a real sabbatical away from uh, the ministry. And one of those things I'm going to talk with you about today, being that today is a kind of a standalone sermon. And so, um, and those things, you've heard me mention them a bunch, but one is simply that all of our wealth is in our relationships, not in your car, your house, your 401k and all that, but our wealth is defined relationally between God and one another and our family and friends. The second thing has to do with we learned about Jesus being gentle. Namely, everybody in the world will confess Jesus to be Lord and King and Christ and judge. Uh, But those of us who meet him, and when you talk to a Christian who actually spends time with Jesus, they, they tend to talk about him in terms of his compassion, his kindness, his gentleness. And the third thing that I want to think that I'm going to really just spend a little bit of time with you uh, on today is um, we've decided as kind of one of our family values, things that we put before ourselves and our children regularly around our home is this, is that we want to live and die in a state of complete gratitude. That gratitude is the only remedy for our miserable souls most of the time. That is pride, selfishness, and entitlement will sink you to the bottom of the sea faster than just about anything. And so uh, the the old Catholic priest, St. Ambrose, said it this way, no duty is more urgent than that of returning thanks. And I think he's right. So for the sake of time and coherency, um, uh, I've decided to go with just this one passage uh, in Luke 17, verses 11 to to 19, talking about Jesus cleansing the, the ten lepers. And so here we go. So we're just going to walk it through verse by verse for just a few minutes together. So here it is, verse 11. On the way to Jerusalem, he was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. So pause right there. Anytime you see the Gospels mention Jesus headed toward Jerusalem, what's going to happen? Anybody? Does anybody know what happened to Jesus on Good Friday? Oh, he's going to go die for the sins of the world and rise from the dead. Right. Anytime you see Jesus mentioned heading toward Jerusalem, the city of God, where the temple of God is, when Jesus goes toward Jerusalem, every time the gospel writers are holding up a big signpost going, 
He's on his way to literally turn the world upside down. Jesus is going toward Jerusalem and he's passing between a region called Galilee and and a region to the south called Samaria. And so Luke, who was a medical doctor, is a stickler for all kinds of details. And so he's not content just to say, yeah, Jesus is heading from the north down south. But rather, he's going to mention where Jesus is on the map. And so for first century readers who would have got a copy of Luke's gospel or heard this read in a town or a village or at a synagogue or an early church, they would have heard this and gone, oh, okay, between Galilee and Samaria— would have stood out to them. That is, Galilee is where Jesus spent most of his time. It's a small, uh, well, collection of cities on the north side of the Sea of Galilee, which was basically a bunch of fishing towns, agrarian, rural, hardworking people. That's where Jesus spent most of his time. This is where Jesus uh, recruited all of his disciples, was out of this particular region. To the south of that is a place called Samaria, and faithful Jews would have avoided this place at all costs. People who would have been concerned with uh, piety, observing the law of God, walking in the Ten Commandments, would have dodged Samaria because it was one of those places. And the reason being is this. Historically, the Samaritans, Jews would have referred to them in a uh, racial and to use a racial slur that was used throughout the first century to speak about a Samaritan would have referred to them as a half-breed, meaning these people came into existence as a result of sin. Unfaithful Jews in the past forsook God and began to marry Babylonians and bowing down before their gods, which Moses said, don't do that. Whatever you do, don't do that. The Samaritans are the result of Jews forsaking God and following after pagan idols. So this is why when you see Samaritans mentioned in the Bible, even Jesus' disciples had a hard time with the Samaritans. You remember James and John? They come upon the Samaritans one day. They're going through near Samaria, and they go, Jesus, we see some Samaritans. Would you like us to call down fire on them? (laughs) Which is, wow. And Jesus, of course, corrects them and says, no, no, I'm going to teach you about love and justice, but no, you're not allowed to call down fire on these people uh, due to your racism. No. So that's just a bit of where Jesus is, Samaria and Galilee. So they were the unclean ones. The Samaritans were the unclean. They were outside of God's covenant. Verse 12 And as he entered a village, he was met by ten lepers who stood at a distance, lifted up their voices, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. Okay, so he stopped. Stop here. We've got these ten men who are standing at a distance shouting, Jesus, have mercy on us. Now, this is leprosy in the first century is a little different from what we understand to be Hansen's disease today. But essentially, leprosy was the worst thing that you could get. And here's why. Look in Leviticus. You can actually see um, one, one verse. Can we pull that up? This is how those who contract leprosy were to be treated. Leviticus 13, Moses writes, The leprous person who has the disease shall wear torn clothes and let the hair of his head hang loose. He shall cover his upper lip and cry out, Unclean, unclean. He shall remain unclean as long as he has the disease. He's unclean. 
he shall live alone. His dwelling place shall be outside the camp. You see, leprosy was a disease that caused your skin to go flaky and scaly and splotchy. But, and then as it got worse and worse, body parts began to literally rot and decay and fall off. They were to be put outside. Look at the words that would have surrounded the leper's life. Unclean, alone, outside, disheveled, banished. These ten people stand at a distance because the law of God required that they stand at at least 50 paces from any healthy person. That most Jews believed that when somebody had leprosy, it was a clear sign of God's judgment. Remember Job's friends? When Job got sick, what'd they say? What'd you do? Clearly, God's upset with you. So when you think about leprosy, I mean, it was so bad. They even, the, the, the law went on to say if a, if a leper would you know, sit underneath a tree and somebody were to come underneath that tree an hour later, that person would be considered unclean. If a leper was to enter your home, your home is now totally defiled. That they even believed that the leper's shadow on the ground was contaminated. Meaning this, any time a leper looks down, even the most intangible part of himself is defiled. I'm unclean. That if he has to go into the town, he has to cover his mouth and shout out, I'm unclean. I'm not clean. I don't belong. I'm not part of the covenant. I'm the one that's under judgment. I'm unclean. So they shout from a distance, Jesus, because they've heard about this compassionate Savior that can do anything. And he seems to be willing to do almost anything for anyone. And he is. Remember, he's going to Jerusalem. So, he's supposed to shout, unclean. And it, I mean, if you go and just read more and more on just the first century about how these people were understood the Jewish historian Josephus. You all have heard his name before somewhere. If, if you haven't, it, it's not just a name that belongs in Alabama. It's actually, um, but Josephus, um, he writes that lepers are in quote, no way different from a corpse. Most rabbis described lepers as quote, the living dead. I mean, can you imagine this life? You see the disease was essentially one that sent the individual into isolation. A prison without any bars. And it robbed the individual not only of health, but of their social relationships. There's no more birthday parties. There's no more anniversaries. There's no more going to work as normal. There's no more. You lose it all. You lose your health. You lose family. You're unclean. You're outside. What a sad place to be in life to where not only are you physically sick and socially set apart, but you actually have to say it out loud every time you come near somebody who is clean. It's absolutely devastating. So, 
they asked Jesus, have mercy on us. Have mercy on us, Jesus. And when Jesus saw them, he said to them, go and show yourselves to the priests. So this was Jesus' eliciting of incredible faith. That is, the law would say, if you, if you think you're cleansed of leprosy, then let the priest check you out and let you back into the city. So Jesus goes, yeah, um, go ahead and go show yourselves to the priest. Which is different from other times when Jesus heals other lepers. Like there's one leper over in Mark chapter 1 where he actually reaches out and touches a leper. But Jesus on this day decides just to give him the, go ahead, go show yourself to the priest. It'll work out. Essentially, he's saying, have faith in what I'm saying right now. Go show yourself. Go ahead. Show yourself to the priest. It's going to work out. He's calling for their faith. And so, as they heard Jesus say, okay, 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 I'm going to go show myself to the priest. I've been in this leper colony for however many days or years, but okay. Okay, I'm going to do something crazy. I'm just going to go show up and show myself to the priest, and it's going to be okay. Crazy faith. So they turn. They go toward having, you know, go toward the priest, and look what it says. It says, as they went, they were cleansed. As they went, they were cleansed. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, Turn back, praising God with a loud voice. So you got, I mean, if you're thinking, think, just think, like, you know, there's a run outside. Like, imagine just going, how far away were they before, the, before this guy noticed he was cleansed? A quarter of a mile? Half a mile? I don't know. But the dramatic response was incredible. He's walking toward the priest, looks down, sees his hands and feet, and goes, Oh my God. And he lifts up his voice and he starts praising God and freaking out and shouting. To which this would be the only right response had you lost everything, had you been damned, had you been unclean, had you lost your job, your family, your relationships, and understood I'm outside of God's covenant. I must be under his judgment. Oh my God, I'm clean. Of course he lifts up a loud voice. This is, what, this is what fanatics do. Yeah, right. Amen. This is like you, you sound a little crazy, and it's okay. It would be right if you were under judgment, if you were in darkness, if you were lost, if you were in sickness, and all of a sudden you shouted out, Jesus, have mercy, and he did. You would lift your voice. This, is, this would be the right response to God and his gospel, to be loud about it. And just so you know, when you read Luke and Acts together, it's a two-part volume. Luke writes this down 12 times. Every time somebody starts shouting, Luke's like, yep, got it. Like he's writing it down because lifting up your voice is an expression of what's happening in your heart. And so he lifts up his voice loudly. And redemption, listen, when you lift your voice to Jesus and about Jesus, Certain people will call you a fanatic and they'll tell you you need to chill out and you don't need to take this Jesus thing too seriously. But if you were the leper and we were, then it's okay if you call us a fanatic. It's okay if you push us out and you, it's okay you want us to be quiet, but we won't shut up about him. 
You, that's what happens when you meet Jesus. You can't shut up about him. And if you have met him, you, you know what I'm talking about. If you haven't met him, you're just like, I just want you to shut up because I want to go to lunch. But anyway, all right. So he lifts his voice loudly and he, as he turns back and he's praising God. He was absolutely overwhelmed. By the way, this is the second time in this passage that we see somebody shouting. The first time they lifted their voice, Jesus, heal me. The second time you see him shouting, it's because Jesus healed him. It's the right response. That's what grace does to you. Verse 16, this is awesome. So he doesn't go to the priest. He turns around and he runs back to Jesus. Which would be Luke's signal about who the big capital P priest is in the Bible. He says, go, sh- go to the priest. And he does a detour back to the priest. Right, okay. And he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Fell on his face. This was not just like a, oh, hey, I am clean. Thanks, Jesus. (laughs) But think this man had been banished for a long time from society. Now turns around, runs back, and the first person he comes in face-to-face, tangible contact with, is the one who healed him. Jesus, he falls on his face. I mean, whatever. Like this. Like, you really are an idiot, Alex. Like, I know. But seriously, this is what he looks like. Lays down on his face, grabs onto Jesus' feet, and gives him thanks. Not a script of, now here's what I want my life to look like. He just says, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. And throughout Scripture... That posture is the posture of worship. And you notice Jesus doesn't say, no, 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 don't bow down before me. Moses said, don't bow down before any idol. Jesus receives this kind of worship, this kind of gratitude, because Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus is God in the flesh. And so it's only right that worship is given to Jesus. And so he lays on his face, giving Jesus thanks. This unbelievable heart of gratitude of grace. That Jesus is not just a prophet, as Islam teaches. And he's not just a healer, as anybody walking around in the woods this morning will tell you. But Jesus is not just a good teacher. That Jesus is God, who was not content to stay in heaven or keep a distance of 50 paces, but came down and got his hands dirty in this real world. And is still doing so through his church. And then Luke drops this bomb on on us. It says, it it doesn't say, now he was a priest. Nope. Or now he was a Levite. Nope. Or he was a pastor. Nope. What's it say? Now he was a Samaritan. The unclean ones. So you know the Pharisees who would have been reading this would have absolutely been scourged by this idea. Going, oh my God. Gosh. And he juxtaposes the other nine, meaning the other nine were the insiders. They were probably Jews. So now we have this Samaritan teaching the Jews a lesson in gratitude. Do you know there's not one person in your life or one person in this city 
that has gone too far for the grace of God? And there's not one person that we are above learning from? Not one. So the other nine did not return to praise God. The other nine did not reverence Jesus. The other nine did not say thank you. They just took a healing and ran. And Jesus, this is interesting. It's not just about gratitude, but Jesus notices the ingratitude or suffers ingratitude. Look what he says. He starts talking to the man. By the way, who's still at his feet. <laughs> he says, he strikes out boldly. It says this. Jesus answered, the dude's at his feet. He says, were there not ten cleansed? Where's the other nine? You see, Jesus actually calls into account those who would abuse his grace. And this is serious for us as Christians who receive the grace of Jesus to respond rightly, to not presume upon it, to not go, just because God's gracious, I don't have to say thank you or I can live however I want or all of that stuff. You just read Romans, you'll get it, it's okay. Uh, but the idea is to return rightly to the Son of God, to say thank you, to lay down our lives in worship. Jesus says, where's the other nine? And what we can learn right here is that we can actually be present in the work of God or around the work of God and still miss the point. The things Jesus was most passionate about was the glory of God and having a relationship with those whom he healed. You see, the sin of entitlement, which is essentially pride, God finds repulsive. And he is always, always, always drawn toward the humble and the grateful. And here's something I noticed about myself. That I'm my most miserable when I'm most selfish. You know what I mean? Like two weeks ago, Jana and I, it, it was just a normal morning. And I was upset and I couldn't figure out why. She's like, well, is it this? I was like, no. Well, is it that guy? I was like, no. Was it this thing? No. And I couldn't figure out what, what it was. I was like, but something's just off. It was anxiety slash, I don't know what it all was. I wasn't in a good frame of mind. So I was like, I'm just going to go down to the basement and do some laundry. So I went down to the basement, was loading the Jude's shirts into the, you know, into the washing machine. And all of a sudden it hit me. It was almost like the Holy Spirit had said to me, like, you know why you're anxious? You hadn't said thank you in quite some time. And it overwhelmed me. Um... Here I was. I have a son. Thank you. Here's a shirt. Thank you. Here's a washing machine. Thank you. I'm in a house. Thank you. I have health. Thank you. I have a job. Thank you. I have a family. Thank you. I have friends. Thank you. I have faith. Thank you. I have Jesus. Thank you. I have the Holy Spirit. Thank you. I have the Bible. Thank you. I have my church. Thank you. I have my friends in my life. Thank you. And like on and on, like thank you. Thank you. And in all those thank yous, I could feel the anxiety 
kind of dissolve and mind shift. That I was so used to going about my day, getting out of my warm bed, making myself a cup of coffee, getting into my car after eating my breakfast, going to my job to do my thing and my, 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 my. I was just so self-absorbed that I was going, why am I grouchy? (laughs) Essentially, it was ingratitude. So if you grew up in church or you had a godly grandmother, you probably heard that hymn, Count Your Blessings, Name Them One by One. It's a good one. Do that. So verse 18, was no one found to give praise to God except this this foreigner? Was Jesus even acknowledged? This foreigner, the outsider, the sinner, this unclean one? The one who did not have the covenant of God extended to him? Not one. And he said to him, rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. So Jesus tells him, get up on your feet. Go your way. Your faith has made you well. You see, Jesus could have said, rise and go your way. I made you well. He says, your faith made you well. That is, we know Jesus healed him. And yet Jesus is putting emphasis on the faith that the man placed in Jesus. Your belief and trust in me has made you well, Jesus says. So, as I close this redemption, it wouldn't be right to tell you this story of God's grace, but leave out the best part, and it's this. That on Good Friday, when Jesus did go to Jerusalem, Jesus became the leper. Jesus was sent out of the city and told to stay back. The religious people called Jesus unclean. Jesus took on our affirmities, Isaiah tells us. Jesus was disfigured, he was made sick, he was trampled underfoot, and he was pushed out and disheveled and put to death all alone in the dark. Jesus was cut off from his family, from his friends, from everyone. Jesus, on Good Friday, voluntarily took on our sickness, our sin, our disease, the death sentence that says, you do not belong inside, but outside, far away from God. Jesus absorbed all of that. And he was made unclean so that you and I could be clean. Jesus was pushed out so that you and I could be brought in. Jesus was made alone so that we could be together. Jesus was disheveled so that you and I could be cleansed. So redemption, this is why our entire lives end up in a posture of gratitude prostrate before Jesus saying you can have it all thank you oh and by the way after Jesus rose from the dead because it doesn't end on Good Friday thank God (laughs) Uh, after Jesus rose from the dead at the very beginning of the book of Acts what does Luke tell us just before Jesus ascends it says he tells the disciples now you're going to be my witnesses starting in where? Jerusalem Judea And then where does he say? 
Samaria, to all those unclean, to all those who don't do it right, you're going to be my witnesses there and to the ends of the earth. And lo and behold, here we are in Seattle on the edge of the earth, 2,000 years later, still celebrating a great God who gave his son in our place for our sins so that we would be the children of God. And so as the response, we live lives of gratitude. We live lives of thanks. And in fact, it would be an amazing gift to God to return to him as a community saying thank you to live our lives as one gigantic thank you to God, to those who enrich us. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the good news of the gospel. And we are seriously grateful. Jesus, forgive us of our times where we have been ungrateful. Forgive us for the times where we have been sinful, rebellious. Forgive us for the times where you have cleansed or healed and reached out to us in grace. And we we just haven't said thank you. So forgive us of those days. Would you fill our hearts with joy, grace, and gratitude? And over the next few days, as we're with family and friends at Thanksgiving and headed into the Advent and Christmas season, God, help us to be mindful, to be grateful, sons and daughters of God. We love you, and we pray these things in the strong, healing name of our Lord Jesus. Amen.